Welcome to Five Dubs by MDDC Press. I'm your host, Rebecca Snyder, the Executive Director of the Maryland, Delaware, and DC Press Association, which represents news media in our region. Five Dubs focuses on the who, what, when, where, and why of local news media. We'll talk with the journalists about the stories behind the news. You can find more information about our guests in the show notes or on our website, www.5-dubs.com. Welcome. We are here with Lisa Snowden, um, who is the publisher and founder, I believe, of the Baltimore Beat here in Baltimore City. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me on. I am actually, I'm super delighted to talk to you because the beat, um, I think has a really interesting perspective and view and just some, uh, just a, a, a unique way that you've built the publication. So why don't you share a little bit more about, you know, who you are, what you're doing and, and how the beat's working with the community? Sure. So the beat came out of the death of Baltimore city paper. Um, everyone loved city paper, but also mm-hmm. everyone knew when the Baltimore Sun bought City Paper, that it was the beginning of the end. Um, No one was really surprised when they pulled the plug back in, I think it was 2017. Mm -hmm. Um, My boss at the time, uh, the paper's editor-in-chief, Brandon Soderbergh, was looking for a way to keep it going. There are people that wanted to buy it. The Sun wouldn't sell it. He found someone who wanted to say, well, all right, we can't buy it. We'll just start something else. And Brandon actually said, you know, There's not a lot of diversity in journalism. There's enough people that look like me in leadership and asked me to come on and be editor in chief. So at that point, I had left City Paper when when I knew that when we kind of knew that it was ending, the sun kind of absorbed me. So I went to work for their editorial team, um, writing op ed and stuff like that. Um, But I left and help start City Paper. It was something that I had never thought about. I never thought that I was going to be in charge of anything. I wanted to kind of <laughs> be a beat reporter, um, but I also knew that I couldn't let that opportunity go by. Um, the beat launched about a week or so after the last issue of City Paper came out. Mm-hmm. We were a weekly with an online, you know, with a website at that point. Um, we ran for about five months, and then one day our publisher called her up, called us up, and said, "Sorry, we can't do this anymore. The money's not there." And immediately it came to an end. Wow! So I cried a lot. <laughs> I guess, <laughs> but I had some friends say, "You know, maybe it's only the end for working with this person. Maybe there's other ways that this the beat can live on." So Brandon and I did a lot of research, and at that point. Uh, there was more people looking into uh, nonprofit news. There were Mm -hmm. a lot of people like us, kind of displaced reporters that knew that their communities still needed, uh, you know, what was lost when their newsrooms ended. And there was a whole community of people out there all around the country. So we were able to make connections and learn a lot. And we relaunched the beat as a nonprofit about a year after it ended as a for-profit paper. Um, And we were just, crowdfunding. We were just trying to figure it out Sure. (laughs) as we went. um, We got some grants some small grants here in Baltimore. It was Brandon and I just doing a lot of work unpaid. We were doing some little fundraisers here and there. We did um, a lot of karaoke events. And um, in 2020, we were a family here in Baltimore. Um, The Hollis Centers reached out to us 
mm-hmm. and said, hey, at this point, the pandemic had started. Right. George Floyd had been killed and they felt like they wanted to do more to help black folks. And so mm-hmm. they were like, we're, we've been giving out money. We have a foundation. We've been giving out money piecemeal to foundation, to, you know, to organizations here and there. But we want to divest all of our money and give it to the beat. So wow. they gave us a million dollars. That is incredible. Mm-hmm. So is like, what was your operating budget at that point? Like, what does a million dollars mean to people who are like running on volunteer labor? In some yeah, way? a million dollars meant a lot. Like a million dollars, it doesn't mean that I don't have to work anymore. But sure. it, means, it, it meant that at that point I had gotten another job. I was working at the Real News Network, which is another nonprofit news outlet here in Baltimore. They do more like national and international news. Um, so I got to quit my job. I got to hire Terry Henderson, our amazing arts and culture editor. Um, We were able to go back to print because when we relaunched, we did not have the budget for print Mm -hmm. Um, just online, but we were able to do both. Um, And we were able to even have a small team of folks who deliver the paper all over the city. So it really gave us a nice runway to be able to take a step back and be like, okay, what do we really want with like Mm -hmm. nobody else's intervention kind of because this money was no strings attached money and start building something to help and and help lay the groundwork to keep fundraising going sure no that's incredible so there's there's so much to unpack there Uh, (laughs) but let's get the basic question out of the way what was your karaoke song i kind of need to know so my go-to karaoke song is the song called tyrone by erica badu because mm. I cannot sing, and it's mostly just talking. <laughs> no one should ever have to be punished by hearing me sing like a power ballad. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe at next karaoke night, that'll be fun. We're planning um, a spring. Oh, that will be fun. Um, and so I wanted, when you were speaking, I wanted to ask you, when, when so many publications are really just looking to go online or say, oh, we're just we're just online, everything's online, what made you, what prompted your commitment to print? Like that, that sounded like one of the, almost one of the first decisions you made when you, when you had the cash. So tell me more about that. Well, I think that number one, Baltimore is a city that loves print. I think we've Mm -hmm. always, we just have a literary, I think we have literary stuff in our DNA. We are the city of Edgar Allan Poe and uh, uh, not Tony Morrison, Zora Neale Hurston was Mm -hmm. here. Well, they're just like, I think that we're just a literary city. And I think people always loved City Paper having a print edition that came out every Wednesday. So that was, it was kind of like a nod to City Paper. But mm-hmm. also like, this is a city where there's a lot of poverty. So right. for me, like my phone lives in my hand. Right. But there's lots of folks who don't have access, steady access to the internet still. and right don't have even the means to like hike to a library um, to get on the internet that way. So it was really just acknowledging the fact that I want to make news as accessible as possible um, to everybody. So like, yeah, you can go online. You can go, we, have, we do have a website. We have BaltimoreBeat.com. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. But also if you're just walking down the street, if you're going to Mount Royal Tavern, if you're going oh, so to- Charles Village Pub. You can just pick up a paper that way. Um, and we also wanted to build on that because I I feel like at the time we are now, um, there's the information that we give that's so important and vital. 
but I was also looking for other ways to do like a be a value add to the community, knowing that we're really in like a very tough space. Again, we got this money at the at the beginning of the pandemic. Right. So people were starting to lose their jobs. Community pantries were popping up. And so we wanted to think about that. Think about even the more the poverty that was even that we knew was coming down the road from the pandemic. And so we have beat boxes all over the city. So you can pick up the paper in those boxes, but also you can leave things for your community in the pantry. So you can leave like feminine hygiene products or masks or COVID tests or canned goods, which people have. What an incredible idea. I think I've only ever picked up the beat in, in places, you know, in, in, well, maybe bars, but, um, (laughs) which is great. So I've never seen the, I've seen the boxes, but I've never opened them up. So how does that, what does that look like inside? And how did you get that idea? So we partnered with OpenWorks, um, which is like a makerspace here in Baltimore City. Mm-hmm. We are very, I think, similarly aligned because OpenWorks is there for folks that like maybe can't, you have a small business, but you don't have the money to have your own factory or workspace. It's a community mm-hmm. workspace. And so they designed it. You flip the top open and there's little sections in there and you can just kind of put stuff in the sections. And then the bottom part is the paper. You can just open it. That's really paper. cool. Mm-hmm. And so how has that been, not just the boxes, but like the concept of the beaten and um, sort of your grounding in the community, how has that been received? It's been really well received, like not even just here in Baltimore, but there are other places that are looking at, like, we want the copies. We want to know exactly what you guys did, because again, we are in, we are not in easy time. So there are lots of places all over the country that have the same needs. So um I think that people have been gravitating towards them. I think that it's an easy way if you like want to do something, but you don't know where to start. It's mm-hmm. very easy to just flip a box open and put some stuff in there, which people have done. Um, yeah. And that's such a like material caring for your community. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also, another way that I think um, you stay so relevant and again, sort of that idea of, of, being rooted and caring for the community is how you've brought city youth into the publication. So, you know, we're in an environment, not just in Baltimore, but I feel like across the world, across the country where there's fewer school newspapers or news sites, you know, there's fewer, um, uh, public schools are really struggling, especially in Baltimore, you know, and certainly many communities feel like they're not being served or they're not being heard um, by their local media. So what, I mean, I don't feel like it's strategy because I feel like this is inherent in who you are, but can you talk a little bit about what goes on, like how you've, how you've approached that? So it started because I've been in journalism for about 20 years. I think it's like 20 years exactly this year. And sure. Thanks. And I'm even, I've mostly been in Baltimore City for like most of my career. And when I've been in newsrooms, even though Baltimore is a majority black city, there have not been a whole lot of people that look like me. Right. And that's a big problem. And it's like, I knew, I remember one day when I was at the Sun in that kind of time between um, the, the city paper ending and starting the beat. And I was looking around and like the Sun has great journalists, very dedicated to the city you know, not at all, like unabashedly proud of Baltimore. So it's nothing against them. Mm -hmm. But I'm looking around and I'm like, 
it almost made me angry because I'm like, I know that the talent is there in the city. It's mm-hmm. not just that these people who kind of are in like a pipeline almost into Baltimore, there's not a real, there's not a lot of diversity. And that's at this point, it's a, it's, it's, it's something that it should have been addressed. Like there's, it's not a new problem in, in journalism that it's not diverse, that it's mostly white folks in journalism. This is a longstanding problem before you and I were even born. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like a, an industry that prides itself on meeting deadlines and getting the work done every day. You can't just keep saying, well, we're going to figure that out later. Like you right. figured everything else out. You can mm-hmm. figure this out. And I think that we need those voices desperately. Journalism is telling the story about where we are. And we need a diversity of voices to tell us or else we're not getting the whole story about who we are, where we are, what's going on in the city. And so for me, it was a priority. Like I'm extremely busy, but no matter what, that working on a story with someone who has never worked on a story before, giving assignments to people, that is as important as the journalism that's happening already in other ways. Mm-hmm. Because we can't, we don't have the luxury of continuing the way that things are. Like things are very, very bad in, in the country right now. There's not even an interest right now. People are losing interest in newspapers and, and proper journalism because there's all these kind of like trash websites and social media sites that people pop up and those are kind of more attractive because they don't have the burden of like like due diligence and telling the truth. Actually reporting. Yes, it's so easy. You can just make it up. Yes. Yeah, so if we have more people that can connect with the audience that we want to reach or different audiences, then I think it helps get people connected to journalism and it helps mm-hmm. people read our work and understand why it's important and even like create the change that we're writing about in our work. Mm-hmm. I think also, you know, I think there was a, a Pew Research study a couple of years ago that that said that there are, it's a very small percentage of Americans who actually know a journalist. Yes. And I think um, what you're saying about representation and, and we see it, you know, uh, certainly through my trajectory, you know, there might be people of color or women that sort of start out, but they get winnowed out. And, you know, when once you get to a certain level, it does very much seem to be um, monochromatic. Mm-hmm. And that does not help from a business case, from a sort of coverage case that does not help the industry at all because you need to see people that look like you yep. doing the work but then also you're you're not reaching whole wide segments of the community absolutely and so when you're but i think it is like it's a brave new world when you're bringing in a lot of untutored journalists mm-hmm. um for you know school students or 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 youth who are just interested what do you tell them about journalism because, you know, I talk to a lot of young people as well and like their conceptions of what's news are different than, uh, they just don't have that sort of background because we're not teaching it in schools. We're not. So what do you tell them about journalism? So mostly the, the journalists that we work with at the beat usually do have, we have not yet worked with people that are completely untrained. Okay. Um, we've had like students, like we've had, uh, University of Maryland student, Aaron. Um, and we also had someone from my alma mater, Towson University. So you, they already are coming in like 
knowing some stuff. We have some, mm-hmm. some folks working on some things now that are like Morgan graduate students. So there's that that's already kind of like I'm not I can't do right now. I can't start from the base, although I am we do have some things that we're cooking up in the background to figure out how to make that happen. But the other part of my work is also going and talking to people, talking to young people. And for those people, I tell them, I try to be very, very honest. (laughs) You're not going to become rich here. Also, you might not even, for me, for a long time, I've I've worked in journalism in a lot of ways. Um, I have two kids. When they were little babies, I was freelancing. This is before Mm -hmm. I worked at City Paper. And I, I remember at that time, I felt a little bit less than as a journalist because I didn't have like that Lisa at the Baltimore Sun you sure. know, email address. And I try to tell them in the world that we live in now, you might not have like the business cards. You might not have the little cubby in an office where you show up and like you, it looks like a certain way. It might look different. But if you're doing the work, even if you have to, you know, wait tables or work at Walmart, that does not make you any less of a journalist. A mm-hmm. journalist is a person that tells stories, adheres to like our, our you know, our, our guidelines, our moral code and how you operate. But it might not be, you know, it might not be your full-time job right now. Right. Yeah, it is I, very much, you know, that world is changing and certainly because the industry is changing a lot. But, you know, I like to think of it as like you're committing acts of journalism in some yeah. ways. You're practicing journalism. Um, and that's really like when we look at membership in the association and things like that, we're not so hung up in like, well, what format do you do you come out in? You know, like how often do you publish? We're we're an organization based membership, of course, but um we're looking more at like, are you ascribing to those that code of conduct mm-hmm. are you are you doing journalism um and that's been very helpful because i think we all need to stick together in some ways because it's so critical i think um and i'd like to ask you like in this kind of fractured world and baltimore certainly has its share of divisions and um and dramas and traumas like how is journalism healing that? Like, what, what do you, why do you keep doing it? I think that when we're, when we're taping this, there <laughs> were, just, I think, over 100 people laid off at, at the LA Times, which is awful, horrific, bad. Um, and I saw a lot of folks online saying, like, journalism isn't dead anymore. It's dying anymore. It's dead. Mm. Um, I don't think that journalism will ever die because I think that our human instinct is always to tell stories. Before mm. there was much of anything else of civilization, there were stories and there always will be stories. And I think that those are are what makes the world better. That's what like Baltimore is a city where you can, although we are kind of like up against each other, you can, if you try hard enough, only see the kind of people that look like you and think like you and have the same background, even in a, a relatively small city. But I think the stories are what help break those barriers, break like East and West Baltimore and like the the L of Baltimore, which is the more developed area. I think that that's what does it. And I think that like sometimes we can get discouraged because overall it looks like we don't care about each other. But when you dial down and tell those stories and when I get to like see people reacting to the stories that we're putting out, the stories at the sun and 
the TV stations and the banner and all those folks are putting out, people react to those. That's how mm-hmm. things happen. Um, so I think that like we'll, we'll always have those. And that's that's one of the things that are, are always going to be connectors to, dip, to all other humans. That is so well put. And I think it's, you're right. It is, people are inherently interested in other people, mm-hmm. you know, like, and there's, there's all these big discussions about like data journalism and this and that, but at heart, you know, it's, it boils down to you're, you're, you're providing an avenue of perspective into someone's life or a topic or an issue that you wouldn't be exposed to. And I think there, the, journalism still has an incredibly powerful force for change. Um, and it's so exciting that you're, that you're doing what you're doing. Um, what's, what's next for the beat? Right now we are fundraising. Uh, we actually have a goal of raising a hundred thousand dollars in 30 days. We're about a week into this. So right wow. now $10,000, um, because I need help. <laughs> we launched and we've done some great work. We relaunched, I think, over a little over a year ago, maybe like a year and a half ago at this point. Mm-hmm. And now I'm really looking to slowly build out our team. We have mm-hmm. an arts and culture editor. I would love to eventually have an arts and culture reporter. Um, we need a news reporter because we had one. We lost him. And I am the news reporter. And that cannot continue. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> like I'm doing some writing. I'm Actually, when we're done with this, I will write a story about protest about for calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. Um, and we're using freelancers, but we're, I would really like to hire another news reporter. We mm-hmm. have some in the background folks that we need to hire, fundraising folks. Um, we have Easy Jackson, who's an artist and organizer here in Baltimore, mm-hmm. who's in charge of our outreach. Easy makes sure that the paper gets out all over the city. He needs help. So really the money to get us to the next level where we need to be is important. Sure. Well, and it sounds like, you know, you need that capital to be sustainable. Like you yes. can't, it is not sustainable to say, Lisa, you go get them, Tiger. Absolutely not. It's not going to happen. <laughs> so if people want to help, do they just go to thebaltimorebeat.com or, or yep. where do they go? Go right to thebaltimorebeat.com. And as soon as you go on the website, our fundraiser pops up. <laughs> <laughs> See it or not. Terrific. Well, this has been so wonderful to talk to you. Is there anything else that you want to share about what you're doing or or the beat or how people could maybe get involved with you? Um, we have, if we're always looking for freelancers and I always try to tell young people, you can still be a journalist while you are in school. Yes. So please feel free. We have um, a section that says pitch us on our homepage. So reach out if you want to write for us or shoot for us, because that's another component that we didn't really get into. But like, we also have photographers that are Baltimore based that we're given opportunities to. And also just support journalists in Baltimore. It's especially a really hard time right now. And I am not someone who I stopped caring about uh, scooping people a long time ago, because we all need each other. So just like, whether you whether the journalist is at the brew, the fishbowl, be more art, uh, the banner, the sun, just please support, read, share. If you have some money, chip in somewhere. If you don't have money, share with other people that these outlets exist. I think that's the most important thing. I, that is so that that just makes my heart sing because we are so lucky in Baltimore in many ways, and it is hard. And I don't ever want to discount that it's hard, but we also have 
a ton of news outlets. You yeah. know, we have the Afro, the Baltimore Times, the BBJ, the Daily Record, in addition to all the outlets that you, and the brew, you know, we there is a lot happening there. There's a lot to cover in Baltimore. <laughs> and I think um, it's, it is so meaningful that you are focusing on bringing along that next generation. I think that can have generational effects. Uh-huh. Um, and, it's uh, so I hope that um, we'll continue to check in and see yeah. how things are going. And it's been such a delight to talk to you. So thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks for listening to five dubs with Rebecca Snyder. Please subscribe and leave us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts so that others can find us. What do you want to know about local journalism? Email me at rsnyder, S-N-Y-D-E-R, at mddcpress.com. Interested in supporting our podcast and journalism? Please donate to our 501c3 Press Foundation. Find out more and see the full episode list and show notes at www.5-dubs.com.